This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters, is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recap. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, feeling some imposter syndrome, perhaps, as we are talking about the halfway point of Star Trek Picard's final season, which feels like it is hurtling at the speed of Rolaren's wayward shuttle into one of the nacelles of the USS Titan. May she rest in peace, as we are discussing Quite a forward-moving episode for what turns out to be the main enemy of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Everything old is new again, seems to be the subtitle of this season. Of course, I am joined by somebody whose appearance is not as surprising as Michelle Forbes, but certainly always as welcome, the great Jessica Lees. Jess, how are you? Um, You know, Mike, if you're a changeling, you have to tell me. But do I have to tell you if I'm a criminal? Specifically, if I'm only a criminal because logically... I have to make crime in order to make sure that those that enforce order have a reason to do what they do and increase the general GDP of the galaxy. Yeah. Okay, Vulcan gangster. Nobody had that on their Star Trek bingo card. Certainly not. Not to judge too much. I mean, I guess I suppose everyone can choose their lot in life, but I did enjoy sort of working through the way the writers probably did of, oh, Vulcan gangster's fun. Wait, why would they do this? okay, I guess there is this sort of, you know, without one, there cannot be the other type of mentality. So in order to make lawmakers be happy and keep them, you know, well-employed, we have to have criminals. So it's a little bit of an ass-backwards way to get our way into a very harried Vulcan gangster, but it was fun to watch. Yeah, that was... 
that was one of those things like that was the manatees with the plot balls like we'll have a vulcan who is a gangster and it, I, i'm not mad at it it was fun but it kind of shows why vulcans would make terrible criminals Yes, exactly. Considering that they got the, he got his ass handed to him in yeah. so many ways by two people goes to show that, man, I guess Sneed must have really sucked if this was like Sneed's higher up. Yeah, he's like Sneed was the mini boss to this boss. So, you know, there's got to be like 14 different levels of bosses after him. Yeah, I really hope it's just every type of species. But the final <laughs> boss is like a Morn type, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, the final boss is a Horta. Yes, exactly. Uh, so here we go. Episode five, as I mentioned, the halfway point of the final season. And look, as I sort of outlined last week, we had nowhere to go but down considering how excellent last week's episode was. We did, admittedly, from my perspective, but I would not say by much. I think bringing back someone like Ro Laren to really just cement the whole changeling idea and the fear therein of suspecting everybody and anybody for the rest of the season was a really great time as well as a fantastic opportunity to not only bring the character back but bring about some closure with her and Picard that had not really been addressed since TNG that I thought once again wrung some really nice emotional value out of like a problem of the week type of situation and yeah going realize that we're going to stay on Metallus 4 for the rest of our lives apparently with this Worf and Rappy storyline is not the most delicious thing but there was still some fun to be had so overall I, I definitely enjoyed it and I really still feel like this season is now that we're halfway through I can officially stamp and say this is probably my favorite out of the three I would agree this is continually moving the plot forward like there is no filler like it's all killer no filler there's a little bit of filler, but mostly it is mostly killer and minimal filler. Yes, exactly. And that killer and filler is kind of represented in Jack Crusher, right? <laughs> in that he is killing, but also the dream stuff might be a bit of filler. But we'll talk about that. They're actually surprisingly moving that along quickly as well. Yeah, this is the episode. Like if this was a Friends episode, this would be called the one with all the fake out deaths. Very much so. Uh, they're getting a little Star Wars-y in that nobody is truly dead, except for the changelings. So let's get into this. Jess, what would you prefer to talk about first? Do you want to get the Raffian Wharf stuff out of the way first, or should we focus on everything to do with the Titan? I think it makes sense. We start on the Titan, and we mm -hmm. don't get to Wharf and Raffi until fairly into the episode. I think we got to start with the Titan. All right, that is the main brunt of the conversation, not to be confused with Brunt, who does show up on Worf's log. I don't know if you saw I the saw that. Well, Morn was on there too, so. Yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of those frequenters of Quark's bar are just going to end up in that little black book of his. So yeah, it seems like everything is ship shape on the Titan, even if the ship itself is not. They escaped from Vatic for now. They're bringing systems back online but Jack is having some issues. We saw at the end of last episode how the dreams have become waking. Uh, in this case, he does have one while he is sleeping, but frighteningly so, he has a dream about wearing a red command uniform and just gunning down all these Titan crew members. And what's more and what's scarier is he realizes that he is sleepwalking and may have been en route to do this proper. Yeah, this was super weird. And, I mean, you knew that it was a dream sequence from the jump because oh, yeah. you're not going to kill that many people that we've taken the time to name. Um, 
we we have a bunch of dispensable red shirts later in the episode but these are people on the bridge that we've like we've given them all names and we don't have enough information on jack crusher to make this something that we're really gonna buy well something else i picked up from the captions is there has been this disembodied voice whispering in jack's dreams right the find Mm -hmm. me together soon come home this episode confirmed according to the captions that is beverly crusher's voice beverly crusher is a changeling confirmed i i mean like i don't know i guess that's the point of this is that i really don't know it's the thing if the thing was an entire television season i i'm just not sure how beverly is involved in this if this is just more so her mother his mother's reassuring words echoing in his head or if to your point we are to believe that like oh he's had a changeling handler this entire time that would be something that we would have a hard time based on all the information that we have had this episode about how can you suss out a changeling i think we would have a hard time buying that just because we've seen that if it's someone you know really well you can just push their buttons until they break down emotionally, and that's how you know they're not a changeling. And I feel like Jack Crusher would be able to do that to his own mother. Also, if the changeling did exist in Beverly Crusher, why would she be so active this episode to expose that the changelings have advanced so much? Uh, I understand wanting to plant the seed of paranoia. I am a reality TV fan, but that feels like it's possibly self-sabotage. A little bit, yeah. So... Command is being handed off at the moment to Captain Shaw. I was a little confused initially that Riker mm-hmm. does this acting captain's log. I'm like, wait, he's still holding the helm? Is Shaw really that dispatched? But no, he is going to hand things off to an absolutely titillated, gleeful <laughs> Shaw who is just beaming from ear to ear because he hailed Star- Starfleet. He tattled once he got back in range. And now the feds are coming up to take these two traitors away. Yep, he can go back to normal. Get these get these a-holes off my ship, going back to my normal, non-exciting starship life. We're going to be a research vessel again. We're not going to get any more adventures. It's almost over. I wasn't supposed to be here today, but I powered through. Aw, snap. I love this ongoing narrative for this poor man. It reminds me so much of like being in a, a D&D group. And you end up taking this random NPC from one of your journeys along with you as a member of the party where the DM's like, no, wait, they weren't supposed to come with you. Okay, I guess they're with you. Now, (laughs) that feels like Captain Shaw. He's essentially being held captive to the plot. And he is absolutely expressing the fact that he wants to get the hell out of this storyline. Are you saying he's the fern of the of the episode? Yes, exactly. Uh, he was told just for a little bit of money, just guide these people around town. All of a sudden, he's shoved into a taxi with a camera crew and is going all around the Philippines. Yep, that's that's about right. And I like just watching his face fall when he realizes he's not done is just it's so delightful. Yeah, and also I guess we get another small note in the continuing adventures of him and his first officer, right? When he does the sarcastic fake knighting a la Jeff Probst of Seven <laughs> reinstating her as first officer. Yeah, that was that was pretty great. And he he asks her if she wants to be stated or... What was the weird portmanteau he used there? Stated or uninstated, but it was it was a wacky portmanteau that wasn't the real word. 
Yeah, I don't know how much the drugs are still kicking in. I know that we can put anything into a hypo spray nowadays, but I don't feel like we really talk about Starfleet officers getting kind of like drugged up and perhaps uh, being of, of tighter, less tight tongues when they have undergone a significant amount of pain medication. Yeah, I think I think like taking the filter off of Shaw is a really good thing for the for the plot. Yes, exactly. Maybe not for others around him, but definitely no. for the plot. So Picard, before all this happens, right, they think things are going to be normal. So essentially, he is going to approach Beverly and Jack, give them a, like one final job, right? Beverly, you do an autopsy of, or actually he tells them like, go back to your normal lives. Beverly wants to be the one to do the autopsy of the changelings because they talk about this, uh, Seven does that after the Dominion War, that kind of instituted this Starfleet ride protocol of blood tests a la the thing to signify if anyone is a changeling. She's trying to figure out how a changeling could slip past that. Jack's like, F Starfleet, absolutely not. You told me in that flashback that that's your family over your actual family. So screw off, buddy. Uh, and so they are going to go off and do their respective things before everything just goes sideways. Yeah, Jack is almost allergic to Starfleet. He is like so repulsed at the mere concept that he would even have to pretend that he is Starfleet. He hates it that much. And I get it, but I feel like there might be more to that. Yeah, I, I wonder as well. I mean, he did say that, you know, he's run afoul of several different types of people, Starfleet included, though again, now we had to look at retrospect and say, were those truly Starfleet people or were those just changelings in uniforms? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you don't know how long this has been going on. They said it happened on 12 starships, so it's pretty much, like, he already didn't trust them, and now he has to, he has to trust them, he has to trust somebody at this point. So Shaw is going to gleefully send off Riker and Picard. Reminds me of the episode where SpongeBob was going to move away and Squidward's just doing a dance the entire time, and I love... This show, I think, earns its meta moments uh, just because of the deepened history with these characters. And so Shaw essentially listing off an entire encyclopedia of basically all the Star Trek movies with this cast of all the things they did wrong, I thought was so much fun. And very Frank Grimes to me, right? Of like, no, you don't realize this. You may think you're the hero, but you are just able to get away with absolute catastrophe. Yeah, and he's not wrong. Like, I'm glad that somebody is calling this out because I feel like TNG didn't really do enough to point out all the times when they violate the Prime Directive. Um, and they really played fast and loose with a lot of those rules. I do find it interesting that Shaw invokes the, specifically the pod, plot of Star Trek Insurrection. Yes. Talking about Picard breaking the Prime Directive because I'm like, when you said he broke the Prime Directive, you could have just stopped it there because dude did it probably at least a dozen times in, you know, nearly 200 episodes of TNG. Yeah, I mean, it's more it's more unusual when he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. But he's like, nope, we need to follow the rules this time. But I love Picard just, you know, truly rebellious spirit, especially in his old age, just like, oh, yes, those were the days when we crashed the saucer section into the planet. <laughs> yeah, and he, this is why they're, they're both kind of, like, they're kind of blasé about this whole thing. It's like, yeah, whatever, we're going to get court-martialed um, because they've, done so many things at this point it's like yeah what are they gonna do to us you know take away my birthday <laughs> exactly well they are in for a surprise not in their sentencing but who is carrying the sentence out 
as we see around the corner arriving via shuttle is a representative from the Intrepid to take them in. Ro freaking Laren. Ensign no more. Yeah, she's coming on the Intrepid all the way from 43rd Street. Um, yeah, it, It's funny because we have the Enterprise on the Intrepid here in New York City. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember for my birthday years and years ago at this point, I actually went to the Star Trek exhibition on the Intrepid, which was very fun. You got to tour, obviously, a bunch of replicas from the series, as well as undergo a bunch of your own quote-unquote tests from an aptitude perspective to figure out where you get sorted into. I was going to say, were they checking your blood to see if you were a changeling? They had a little um, Fitbit-esque badge that you would put on, and you would sort of scan it after your game so that they would sort you at the end of the day, and you finished by doing the Kobayashi Maru. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was really fun. You were actually on this, you know, makeshift bridge doing it the entire time. That's incredibly cool. I don't know how I missed that. Yeah, so what did you make of this? Was this ever on your bingo board for Star Trek Picard Season 3? It was not, but I don't know how it wasn't. Uh, she was such a huge part of Latter-day TNG, mm -hmm. and the way that that ended was so shocking. And the, like, at, at one point, they were really shaping... They were shaping Roe up to be a star. Oh, and she was going to be the Kira yeah, Norris. Yeah, I was about to say, yes. She was She was being set up to be the Kira Norris, and instead, they send her to the bad guys, basically. But there wasn't ever that moment of closure. Like, I think... Picard always felt like he sort of failed her. And to bring that back, especially even that history has not really been kind to how we regarded the McKee. This yeah. is an interesting thing. Like I, in my, some of my left leaning Star Trek fan groups on Facebook, they are always talking about how we mistreated them throughout TNG and Voyager. It's like they had some good points actually. And once you make a peace treaty with a terrorist group, they kind of cease to be terrorists. Mm hmm. So as a bit of a reminder for people, because they will sort of dance around this without being explicit that, you know, they didn't do it previously on Star Trek. The next generation yeah. to really underline that she would be showing up. But Ro Laren was uh, this sort of renegade Bajoran who ends up being brought in on Starfleet initially because she had done some like undercover work for them, seeking out intel. And then she was officially brought in went through Starfleet Academy and then was specifically brought aboard the Enterprise to deal with a mission in particular that dealt with Bajorans. But she came with a lot of baggage initially. Uh, she was pretty impudent when she first came on board. This is something Picard will talk about later, right? The fact that she insisted on wearing her Bajoran uh, jewelry, despite the fact that she kind of resented being Bajoran at the same time. I think she was definitely vocal. I wouldn't say insubordinate, but certainly vocal about Picard's commands initially. But after that mission, he saw enough in her to bring her aboard. And so Ensign Rowe ends up making a good amount of appearances in the last three seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. She gets involved in a bunch of different hijinks. She's uh, unfortunately one of the crew members that gets turned to a kid in that Rascals episode. I remember she's one of the people where they had that episode where they all experienced memory loss mm -hmm. when they were on the bridge. They just wake up and Riker and Roe, who had been at each other's throats for the entire episode, were now all, all of a sudden like making out at 10 forward. But the way things are left is that Ensign Roe is once again asked to be a double agent. She is asked to infiltrate the Maquis, this terrorist uh, radical group, to essentially see what they were doing and make sure that they don't attack Starfleet in any way, shape or form. 
And she saw what they were doing and said, I kind of feel like I belong here for the first time in my life. And so she ends her appearances on Star Trek TNG by being a triple agent and betraying Starfleet, as is invoked here. She holds a phaser at Riker and gets beamed onto the Maquis starship and takes off for parts unknown. Yep, she, you know, she violated that rule of, of bodyguard, you know, never, never let your guard down, never fall in love. Yes, exactly. Uh, maybe is she singing I Will Always Love You to her earring? Yep, pretty much. Um, so that was, as I recall at the time, it was kind of a shock to the fandom. Even though she was someone who always sort of pushed back against everything. And she wasn't, she was even less of a rule follower than Picard. It was still like she, you know, it was always Federation, always good. Maquis, always bad. And that yeah. continued like up through Voyager. Up through like the entire first season of Voyager was about this. Like oh, these yeah. people are going to be part of our crew now, but we hate them because the terrorists and they eventually you get to the point where you forget who was who. But it still it leaves this taste in your mouth. But now we're starting to reckon with, well, maybe the Federation isn't always right. Yeah. And I, I feel like all of New Trek has taken that tack. And to bring her back in this way and to have people like her and like Seven come back to Starfleet after the way that Starfleet treated them and the way that they treated Starfleet is also very interesting. Same with Raffi. Like all of these yeah. characters pretty much rejecting all things Starfleet and then like just when they think they're out, they get pulled back in. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to find out more about this like amnesty rehabilitation program that she's going to refer to later on. Considering that, yeah, to your point, we now have three concrete examples of those that were in Seven and uh, and in Rose's case, like branded enemies of Starfleet. In Raffi's case, more so somebody that like was belligerent and had a falling out with them. And then to be welcomed back sort of with open arms in a similar track to Raffi, Roe is bar brought back in through the intelligence program. So maybe they also feel like we're kind of embarrassed. These are the black sheep of the family. So we're just going to have them be undercover the entire time so we don't have to acknowledge them. They're, they're like the Frank Abagnales of Starfleet. <laughs> exactly. They're just playing a bunch of different roles at the same time. And by the end of this, the Titan will be saying, catch me if you can. Uh, so Beverly is going to make an interesting discovery here, not Star Trek discovery, as she is doing the autopsy on the changeling version of Sydney LaForge. First, it still has assumed the form of Sydney LaForge. I don't know why they brought Sydney in to identify her own body. This poor girl has been through enough. Yeah, that was that was uniquely awful. This is also weird, though, because we saw a changeling like struggling to hold its form last week. And yeah. yet this one... You kill it and it stays looking like a human with human organs and human stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Is it a rigor mortis thing, maybe, where like hmm. that stiffness sets in? What's interesting, though, is that she is going to discover that essentially, despite the fact that this body doesn't have actual DNA in it, it can bleed. And it seems to still have things that might make it pass off as human, hence passing the blood test. I have a theory jess about these these new evolved mm. form of changelings there was an interesting theory on reddit about this so i want to see i want to see if this is the same theory well i don't know maybe i just have voyager on the brain but i'm thinking specifically about the fact that we'll find out later that roe has really been charlie day all in on <laughs> this conspiracy right and then i also think about the fact 
that she took a shuttle over and insisted on doing so. Mm-hmm. So I am kind of thinking, is there something where the changelings are evolving by sort of integrating themselves with human DNA? Are they a la those weird creatures from that one Barkley episode hiding in the transport conduits, essentially, bonding themselves to people, glocking their DNA, their essence, and then creating themselves from that? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was going to ask if this was a Tuvix scenario. Oh, boy. Well, they better bring They Picard said, should we call Janeway? 100%. She'll come in there like Rambo and just take out all these hybrids from the, from the transporters. Yeah, totally bloodthirsty. Yeah, I think you've got a point, Mike. They also talk about your transporter pattern mm. and how it's uploaded to a database. And I sure feel like if I'm a changeling, I can hack into that and pull that pattern and use it to create myself. Yeah, and especially since we're going to talk later on, right, about something like Daystrom being AI run, like if someone has the capacity to break into some sort of data bank that could contain perhaps a replicated version of every person that has been through a transporter bay, that'd be something you could very easily exploit. It's true. It's true. And that would explain why we saw the changelings take shape right after they beamed in. Yeah, exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense. So we'll keep tabs on that, but I'd be really interested to see if that's where we go. Again, we're halfway through the season. A lot of mysteries haven't been solved, hence Jack's uh, red dreams that we're going to talk about a smidge coming up here next. But I don't know. I feel like we're sort of circulating around this changeling thing, at least. And this seems to be the the central issue in the Venn diagram. Yeah, it looks like it. I'm, and I'm now I'm trying to think back on who we've seen be impersonated like have we seen ensign laforge go through a transporter yeah i'm trying to think about who we have seen i mean it's been tough because on the titan we've essentially seen them stay on board this entire Mm -hmm. time and now it makes sense considering that the first form we see the changeling take was the transporter chief so it makes sense that like if he was in charge of kind of guarding it making sure the coast is clear so his buddies can beam on yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I think they they hammered that point pretty hard that it was the transporter chief. Yeah, so Roe at this point is very cold to Picard, right? She is just very matter-of-factly staying saying, "Yes, you are going to be brought in for trial. Uh, you know, please just call me commander, don't refer to me by my first name, which is also my last name because Bajorans are kind of weird like that." Uh, and he refers to her as a titular imposter. Uh, saying that, you know, how could you be reinstated in Starfleet after you betrayed us? She's like, All right, that's a great question. I'm not entirely sure either. They have pretty lax uh, <laughs> rules here. And he's also going to note right now that she isn't wearing her Bajoran earring. At, in this point, he is accusing her of turning her back on another institution. Speaking of turning their back, Jack is doing so to his fellow crew. He's hearing these voices again. He is told to hide out amongst the crew by donning, unfortunately, the commander uniform that he has in this dream, trying to figure out whether it's a dream or a prophecy. And he's going to refuse to get on the transporter, which, again, to me, and maybe it's a thing where Jack, I don't know, could he possibly be one of these changeling hybrids? I'm not entirely sure. And he's just kind of fighting his programming that is telling him to get on the transporter. Yeah, I I have thought a few times that Jack might be a changeling. Um, But I think there's something else. This feels more like a The Last of Us situation. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing where 
I will spoil uh, The Last of Us slightly, so tune ahead about 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. Basically, there was one character who is immunized to the big fungal infection that has plagued the world, partially because she was infected with it literally at birth. And what they explain is that she has like a chemical receptor inside of her so that anybody who is fungally infected will sense her as like also infected and will therefore ignore her and pass her over. Yeah, I think it is much the same with Jack. Like, I think there's something inside him that is connected to the changelings. And I think as we get to the end of the episode where he straight up murders four people and he's freaking out because he's like, I didn't kill them because I knew they were changelings. I just killed them. It's like, no, some part of your little lizard brain knows and can tell and can identify. And your brain's doing weird stuff with that. And that's why you're having the visions. But if he can tap into what that is that's making him like that, I think we solve a big chunk of this mystery. I mean, could this be like a Voke Ash Tyler situation where like a changeling was conditioned to act human and now he sort of is dealing with two different senses of self? Or I'm going to spoil another movie. Ooh. Um, I'm going to spoil that Liam Neeson vehicle where he loses his memory and thinks he is a scientist, but he's really a sleeper agent who was given the dossier of the scientist. And when he hit his head, he conflates his fake identity with his real one mm, the alpha and the omega of things we are spoiling the last of us and that randomly and nissan amnesia I, movie. i can't remember what it was called now it's gonna ironically enough <laughs> judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So... 
Picard is going to, you know, ask Ro why Jack is so important. And we think we're finally going to get this answer. But of course, saved by the bell as Beverly is going to once again send him this incredibly all-caps intense communication, right? Changelings can pass the blood test. Capabilities beyond superficial. Trust no one. Actually, before uh, I, I move on from the Jack stuff, so yeah, as you mentioned uh, before, he is going to end up just killing these four people point blank. What should be known, though, is he did kill the transporter chief as well. Yes. It was like, hey, dude, are you getting on or what? And Jack just responds by killing him. Yeah, that was... It, it, you know, Shades of the Singing Telegram Girl from Clue. Exactly. Where was Jane Whedland when we needed her? Yeah, no kidding. Unknown. It was called Unknown. Oh, I love that title for so many reasons. Yeah, that's that's the movie. Um, but yeah, he he really... Something is guiding Jack. And the visions he's having... Boy, New Trek sure loves its red tendrils, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what this is. I know that they filmed parts of this right after Star Trek Picard Season 2. But, like, did Terry Metellus watch Stranger Things Season 4 and said, oh, we need much more plant-like metaphors. We lost the Arboretum, but we can have it live on through his dreams. Yeah, we need we need evil plants. Um, but I think he sees stuff that is red, and he sees, like, the red stuff around these people that turn out to be changelings. And I I wonder if there is a way for his conscious brain to start flagging that. Yeah, because I do wonder, right? He'll see, like, the red door at the end of the hallway soon. Like, are there specific access points almost to memories? Like, again, if it's more of a prophecy thing of things he should be looking for, or is this more of, like, a haunting of Hill House situation where... It's just these random images that are haunting him that he, if he doesn't fully embrace, it will haunt him forever. Is the fact that he really didn't want to put on that Starfleet uniform, maybe it was because it was red? Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Can you put me in science? Yeah. I, anything but like put him in the mustard before he put him in the red because he just really hates the color red. Well, I don't know. It seems like all the changelings are taking all the yellow uniforms. So I think they're in short <laughs> supply. Yeah, I guess so. I feel like you could replicate that, but... So, oh uh, Picard is going to basically, you know, talk to Ro, really trying to get the third degree as to why she ended up joining up with the Maquis, right? He is a bit stuck in the past here, simultaneously confused about how she was able to return to Starfleet, but I think still a bit stung, not even realizing it, that the wound has been reopened about this idea of her joining the enemy and leaving him high and dry. Uh, and so, you know, Roe is going to show some mistrust in him in this moment as well, which I think makes sense in retrospect when you know that, like, she is very wary of whoever she is talking to. You think initially she is just very cold and dismissive of, like, I don't associate you with you anymore, Dad. I'm on my own. But if you look at her more as, not wanting to give anything away for fear that he could be a changeling and use that information against her, her behavior does make more sense. Yeah. Well, how much of this interaction is them trying to manipulate each other into proving that they're not changelings? And how much of it is like genuine, like curiosity and need for closure? It's really interesting at the point when that becomes blurred. Yeah. What I really enjoy about it is 
the advent of the changelings kind of makes you have to get personal with somebody, yep. right? Like the solution to changelings is character development, essentially, <laughs> by sitting down with them and talking through trauma or talking through these things that you wouldn't tell anybody. So I love that as a writing exercise where we're going to get this, where Roe is going to eventually pull a phaser on Picard, guide him into 10 forward, which I guess either they didn't want to go anywhere else or maybe the holodeck is stuck on the setting <laughs> after it got hit with so many torpedoes and asteroids last time. Well, you know, it's got its own power grid and they never quite managed to get in there to change the channel. Which we did get corrections on that. Yes, that was a rule that was set up in Voyager as well. I still think it's a bit of a city rule, silly rule, but I appreciate the verisimilitude and the, uh, you know, the canon of it all. It's the dumbest rule ever. It's like, you're going to keep the holodeck running at the expense of your life support? What is wrong with you people? I mean, when you have a hologram character on Star Trek Voyager, I guess you do have to bring a bit of, like, humanity and try to get through the writing hole of, well, if the power goes down, doesn't the EMH go down as well? I feel like the EMH would be fine with that. He'd be like, <laughs> well, it's either, it's either I go in my box for a while or you guys all die. I'll go in my box. I'll see you later. So sitting down over a drink, things are as hostile as they were perhaps when Shaw came in as there are more past demons to fight. And it really is interesting to look at their conversation is as, again, to me, like a parent and a child of essentially what Picard accuses Roe doing is you betrayed everything that I believed in. And Roe is going to respond by being like, you tried to put your beliefs on me. I couldn't be something that you wanted me to be. Uh, and that she joined the Maquis because being there meant standing up for injustice, which is true. Again, she does vocalize in her last episode of TNG that she felt like the Maquis was the first time she truly found somewhere that she could belong. And she tells him, you confuse morality for duty. And they tell each other that they broke each other's hearts. And it is that moment of vulnerability, ironically enough, that allows them to, as they're turning to goo, essentially, in front of each other, that's when they put their phasers down and realize that, okay, I'm not speaking to a changeling here. Yeah, so you basically you have to just, like, you have to rip, you have to break somebody's heart in order to prove that they're not a changeling, is what we find. Changelings are good mimics of human behavior, but I don't know if they're that good of an actor, you know? There's no Daniel Day-Lewis changeling out there. Well, you know what this whole changeling Michigas this week, you know what it reminded me a lot of? What's that? It reminded me of, like, early 2021, when this when the announcement came we have perfected a vaccine for covid and everybody's gonna get the vaccine it's all gonna be cool and we're just gonna it's gonna be the turning point then everything can go back to normal everybody gets their vaccine there's like waiting lists to get the vaccine by mid-june we've all got our two doses and then they're like oh oh jk here comes another one and all of you are gonna get sick again anyway because the virus has morphed and now it doesn't matter if you had the vaccine. Mm. It's very much like, it's like a virus that's mutating. It's like the changelings figured out you got the blood test. Okay, well, we're going to change ourselves so that we can pass the blood test. Like they're just getting better and better. I would expect no less from the big bad of the second half of Deep Space Nine, right? Like, you would be nerfing them pretty easily if they were just dumb changelings that fell for a blood test each and every time. No, they licked their wounds, they evolved, and they realized how they could pass through the Starfleet protocols to take them from all sides. Yep, it involves those same wounds that they were licking. 
Yeah, exactly. The, the blood is seeping from it. Let's take advantage of that. And so Ro is going to now really go full cards up, right? Once she reveals that Picard is the real Picard, she's going to reveal her true mission that she's been working on, which is that Starfleet has been compromised at the highest level. And Picard's like, damn it, again? Really? <laughs> it, it's funny how Picard is really, if you find this sort of information and you don't know who to go to, Picard is like your go-to guy for so many people. Yeah, he's a good conspiracy nut, I would say. Considering the firsthand stuff that he has experienced, like he was entertaining Raffi's BS. He's good to go with this Rose stuff. He's the guy, despite Roe insisting like, oh, you've foisted your beliefs on me. I can never be what you wanted me to be. He seems to be one of the most open captains out there to all the tinfoil hat stuff. Yeah, it's radical acceptance, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So Roe believes that changelings have infiltrated every sphere on Starfleet. She thinks there are some on board with her on the Intrepid. She does not know how correct she is about that. And she worries that it's all going to culminate in Frontier Day. That, hey, opportunity to put the entire Starfleet, you know, uh, cavalcade out there on display. Big opportunity to have a giant attack. It is interesting because I saw an interview with Terry Metalis this past week where they said that actually at one point in time before the Changelings came into the picture, they were going to possibly do a reprise of the little nubbin bugs that took over Starfleet higher-ups at the end of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. So it's interesting to find, in my opinion, remnants of that lying over just with Changelings. Yeah, well, then we even one of the one of the weird Jack hallucinations had those had little bugs crawling all over it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were indicating that. Yeah, I don't know. They looked like Madagascar hissed some cockroaches. You know, it's a section of the Bronx Zoo I never go in. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, fear factor. That was one of its main tent poles for a reason. Yep, yeah, it's true. So Roe is going to urge Picard stay with the skeleton crew, take off. Go do what you need to do. I'm going to keep Starfleet people as distracted as possible while you go rogue and go on your own mission to try to figure out exactly what is happening. But she is also going to... These aren't her final, final words, but her final in-person words, at least, to Picard. And even though she has opened up her heart to him, there is still a little bit of callousness there, right? She tells him, "I I wish just once you could look into my heart and understand that I only did what I thought was best. All these years that I wish you know me and that I know you. And then she says goodbye. What do you make of those final words, Jess, with this idea of I wish you had known me and that I knew you? Um, I think I think that is the much needed closure there. And it's something that I think Picard had a hard time. He has a hard time expressing that. I think like especially where we left him before this series kicks off. But he's getting very gooey and like, this is almost familial. Yeah, I agree that, okay, it's clear that you have changed and I regarded you in a very different way just as the captain. And you saw me as just the scruffier recruit than usual, but someone that you thought you could indoctrinate into Starfleet, no questions asked, when clearly I had other prospects as well. So it is interesting to tie up these loose ends, but I feel like it was done in a very connective way that didn't just feel like, okay, we have to check this box. Let's bring Ro Laren in to connect these plot points. Like, I think she has actually brought in in a very effective way as someone who 
was a double agent many times infiltrating these terrorist cells. I think she knows something about keeping her cards close to her chest and, you know, taking notice of when people are sus. I feel like it just worked from a character perspective as well as serving as an opportunity for these two to finally reconcile. Because, yeah, you don't even think about with the TNG episodic nature, right, of us largely ignoring some of the stuff that carries over from episode to episode, Ro Laren left and they didn't talk about her for the rest of the series. They had bigger fish to fry. So it is cool to think about how he may consider her as the quote unquote one that got away. Yeah, it's it's very true. But I think we can't expect any less from Picard because they've shown over and over that they are carefully considering where we left everybody and where we might pick them up again and what they might be doing. And I think in every case, it's made perfect sense. Apart from apart from Beverly Crusher, I'm still not sure how they are explaining that away. But everybody else, it seems like for the most part, even the smaller characters that we bring on for an episode or two, we have done a great job of justifying why are we bringing them back in now and what have they been doing in the meantime? I feel like everybody knows what they've been doing in the meantime, even the stuff that's not explicitly spelled out in the script. Yeah, I could be a prime example as to why Beverly's a change. Like, like, our Beverly wouldn't outright abandon us for 20 years and refuse to let Picard see his own son. Yeah, if they hadn't shown that flashback with Jack last week, like, sneaking into the bar and, like, confronting his father without telling him, if they hadn't shown that, I would say both of these people are 100% sus. Mm. like they there is no jack crusher this is made up this is beverly this is fake beverly is gaslighting everybody <laughs> so picard is going to relay what roe had told him i love shaw just like security like he is just having that like don't bring me into this cockamamie bullshit again okay i thought it was done with you yeah he's like not again not again well, bad news for Shaw again. Yep. As it turns out, Roe is going to hail them. Her shuttle has been sabotaged. That essentially her heavies ended up uh, setting off a bomb and transporting themselves off. And so Roe is going to be the sacrifice hit here. She realizes, okay, she could direct her vehicle back towards the Enterprise, but she would essentially make it a ticking time bomb. And so she decides to do a final sort of soft goodbye to Picard. I'm giving you what you gave me all those years ago, a fighting chance. And Picard is going to emotionally tell her that he does finally see her and that he asks forgiveness for that. As Ro Laren pulls an Admiral Bob, essentially, from Star Trek mm. Discovery and drives her big bomb-filled shuttle into one of the nacelles of the Titan to hopefully take it down. I'm sorry, of the Intrepid. Yeah, that's... That's pretty incredible. It didn't really do the job, though, unfortunately. She sort of sideswipes it. Yeah, I was thinking about that for a second of like, oh, that's awesome. But wait, aren't there a bunch of non-changelings on that ship? Are we just sacrificing all of those lives? To I, now that you now that you mention this, I think that I think it was totally intentional. I think she wanted to wipe out a nacelle so that they can't give chase. Mm, yeah, that's smart. Now it stings a little bit, right? Because it's not a life for a life. It's more so just a life to give you a, a head start, but still valiant uh, at the same time. And I do love the cinematography on the image of Picard giving a much sadder face palm than the meme suggests, as in the background we see, like, you know, the the intrepid with the sizzling nacelle and the remnants of Rolaren probably going up in plasma. Yeah, and this was, I'd say this was a good death. 
And we're going to get into it in a minute. Like you can tell, you can tell when a death is not a real death mm-hmm. because it's not a good death with a payoff. And any character with that much baggage attached to them that we've done this much work developing, we're not just going to kill him for a stupid reason. Like we gave her the send off that the character deserved for sure. Yeah, I think so as well. That some people might feel like, especially at the time, to your point, her ending was a bit unsavory, that she had been welcomed into the crew, had all these adventures, and then betrayed them at the end of the day, even if the Maquis perhaps have a bit more rationality to them from a 2023 lens. It does feel good to have her sort of get her more, you know, neat and tidy ending, right, where she is brought back aboard Starfleet, that she is probably one of the most knowing people about this entire Changeling conspiracy, considering her last will and testament is going to contain all the stuff they may need for the back half of the season, and that she gets a quote-unquote hero's death, as well as a reconciliation with Picard. Like, that really checks all the boxes of any loose ends people might have felt about the character at the time. Yeah, not to mention it is still a little bit of a surprise, especially especially contrasting this, and we're going to get into the Wharf and Raffi of it all in a minute, especially contrasting this with the fake-out death that happened immediately prior to this. We're like, oh, yeah, they're not going to kill anybody like that. Oh, they're going to kill somebody like that. Yes, exactly. Roe really did say it was a good day to die, and she meant it. Yep, she meant it, and it, and it was. So after that happens, Picard takes her for what you were thinking, right? Of, okay, this is our sign to run. Shaw is refusing initially, but does begrudgingly accept it when he sees that the Intrepid starts warming up its torpedoes, essentially figuring out, okay, now they're going to frame us essentially for doing friendly fire. We have to take off as soon as possible. Starfleet has been compromised. And so Shaw's like, God damn it, I really shouldn't have come on this mission. And he is going to jump away as Riker glumly says that everyone is now after them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much like, take us to warp. Yeah, exactly. Which sucks. And it's interesting. We had talked last episode of, okay, now that we're out of the nebula, I'm assuming we're going to drop Riker off and we'll be away from him for a couple episodes. No, they're kind of stuck on the Titan for the time being, which greatly surprises me. You know, we thought we were giving Jonathan Frakes a break at some point, but hopefully we're just getting Riker every episode. That would be great. I would imagine we do, unless there's some episode where he is, you know, placed in cryostasis or something. He's going to be around, considering that Picard is as well. And especially because as Picard is mourning Rose's death here, Riker's able to figure out that the earring she left behind was not just a memento. It was but a flash a- drive! Exactly. It's a little zip drive. And now we need to make like uh, zip drives that can be worn as earrings. So I'm sure Etsy exists. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I have a necklace that that is a flash drive. All right. So listen, we're getting maybe closer to the future of the Star Trek than we realize. Yeah, I I feel like this is something that hasn't been explored enough, like jewelry with memory sticks in it. I I feel like that's kind of spy cool. It's kind of nerdy. There's a lot of room to play with that for sure. So this is when they are going to get hailed by Worf. So I actually want to take this time to rewind and go back to everything on Metallus 4, uh, just so, or Metallus Prime, sorry, just so we can then connect the dots here. Because I would say, actually, from a plot perspective, there's obviously much less by comparison going on with Raffi and Worf. We start with a good old 1v1 combat here, right? With Worf on the bat left versus Raffi on sort of like the... I don't know, Raphael's stick? I forget the names of the weapons that he uses in Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, I know. Like the... 
Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. The the size or whatever. No, that was yeah. Leonardo's. No, that was Raphael's. You're right. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. It sucks that they are on the La Serena because they have this big, beautiful ship that they can fly, that they can go anywhere with, but it's just being used now as just a secondary home and is permanently grounded, it seems. Yeah, well, it's like it's like living in a like living in an airstream trailer, essentially. Yeah, and Raffi has a lot of familiarity with that, considering yep. where we found her on the Vasquez rocks. Exactly. She's she's right at home. So Worf is talking about getting a message from his handler. Uh, and essentially he has been denied a request to go to the Daystrom station, which I can't remember if we knew about that the fact that there was, I'm assuming, a satellite Daystrom station out there as opposed to just the regular regular Daystrom Institute. No, I don't I don't remember there being mention of a Daystrom Institute the next generation. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it makes sense given everything that went on with like the anti-sin stuff. They're like, yeah, if we could just make this more mobile in case there are any targeted terrorist attacks, that would be great. Well, it's sort of like how you, you, you initially called the bunker on Lost was the Dharma station, but then you had to call yeah. it the Swan station because you learned about the arrow and the pearl and the whatnot. Well, I think especially when you're working with AI, right? You want backups on backups. You don't want to have your, your solitary server farm because that makes it much easier to target. Yeah, it sure seems like they need to not collect all of the most deadly AI-related things in the universe and put them all in one place. Yes, of course not. Only for the sake of cartoon comedy. That's so, almost like, like, you know, you don't build your building on top of an ancient burial ground. Exactly, because you know that's when the... the that's when the the, the oogity boogity spirits come out. Well, Worf has a list of hopefully informants that will soon end up in the cemetery, let alone the pet cemetery. But one he is going to indulge in right here is a man by the name of Kryn, kingpin of the Velashi crime syndicate. So once again, we're going down a planet side. And so I was a little confused by this, Jess, where people are like scattering and murmuring to themselves and running around. Worf and Raffi are like, look what we did. Look how powerful we are. But we also see an introductory scene of Kryn arriving. Are we assuming they were scattering as the remnants of that? Yeah, this was weird. I thought it was more of a, oh no, it's the cops, hide. Like That's what it felt like. Because you know Worf cannot shake the big cop energy. He's not going undercover. That's why we have Raffi. Well, but I think also the words of what Worf did very recently of cutting off Sneed's head, cop or not, I think yeah. have made him a man of ill repute amongst these streets. Fair. I just thought it was hilarious that they'd show up and everybody starts scattering and worse like, well, that's because we're in charge now. We're like kings here. Yeah. He also meditates for, quote, the ecology of Des District 6 to right itself. Was he referring to, like, the dust settling literally around him? Yeah, I couldn't figure out what that was. It was like, is it snowing there? Is this, like, is like acid rain? Is this, I, like, yeah. ash? Like, they're in a like they're in a district 13 situation yeah i didn't know if if you know peacekeeping wharf meant like super connected with nature wharf those feel like that feels like a rectangle square type of thing yeah wharf has become a big old hippie since we've seen him before yeah i mean like listen he's not like full hippie he'll obviously strike out if need be but at the same time yeah you know after he fights with raffi he's gonna go into his darth maul like meditative state or uh it's qui-gon jinn actually that was in the more meditative state and phantom menace of just yes yeah, so and now i just wait things out because i know that i'm going to win at the end of the day which has been fun but i think can sometimes make the dialogue confusing when as you just mentioned in this case you're not entirely sure what he's referring to yeah, and dialogue in the middle of a fight. I feel like we've seen that a lot of times. I don't need to see that anymore. Definitely. So 
Kryn is going to appear. I love the look of mm. Kryn, right? With the scar and kind of like the cauliflower one Vulcan ear. Clearly a sign of the rough and tumble raising that he did. And this man loves to monologue in true Vulcan <laughs> fashion, right? He is cocksure. Pride leads us into traps, but patience brings great rewards. As it turns out that they have the jump on them. You know, there was a hollow of Raffi down there with Worf, and Raffi was actually the sniper on the roof, but there's actually someone behind it. It's that meme, right, of the person pointing the guns behind each other in the church. Yeah, it, it is very much that. But it turns out at the end of the day, they still have the upper hand on him. I feel like they knew all of this stuff was going to happen. Like it's, it's 40 chess here. Yeah, I'm surprised they actually didn't explicitly say, oh, we knew that you would do this, so we planned this. I think it was just more so an improvised thing on Raffi's part, though. Who knows? Maybe Raffi actually thought she did kill Worf, and she's like, oh, I didn't realize he could live through that. Yeah, that part they definitely practiced, but I couldn't tell how much of it was like, we're just going to execute this play that we've rehearsed before. And how much of it is we're going to do this thing specifically for this instance. So Kryn is going to monologue here again, right, while they're held captive, basically saying about how he and Sneed grew up as brothers amongst the scavengers <laughs> together. That, That's look tricky. At this. Very clever and tricky. Yeah, look, crime was able to bring together people from all creeds and all races for the pursuit of your bottom dollar. And he reveals that he actually did facilitate the break-in at the Daystrom satellite. And he is going to say, for your impudence of daring to kill my brother, you two will fight for the death. And if one of you doesn't win, then we kill both of you. And so Worf is very much setting up, in my opinion, right? This idea of like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I will run on Raffi's knife. Raffi, please take the signal. Do not stab a major organ. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's certain places I feel like you can stab that are probably okay to stab. And I think she almost got it right. Yeah, I mean, listen, there has to be zero percentage of people who are watching this show who actually thought that Raffi killed Worf, right? Yeah, like, this is not how Worf is gonna die. Like, main cast member of two entire-ass Star Trek series Worf, he's not gonna die in the middle of a fight to the death on some, like, backwater-ass planet. He's going out in a blaze of glory, and this is not it. Yeah, nobody's gonna say... Oh, he said it's a good day to die. Therefore, he said his line, and that's how he goes out. No, this is not how Worf, son of Moog, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ends up meeting Kalis at the end of the day. He's going to yeah. go out in a roaring fashion. Yeah, Worf, son of Moog, the unburnt, the stormborn. Yes, uh, exactly. of slaves. Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea. I mean, listen, he does have kind of Dothraki hair going on. So he does. It's not too I dissimilar. Think he'd fit right in. They're all about honor and and fighting and and what have you so yeah it it really you knew that you knew that wasn't how he was going out and that did sort of sap a little bit of the tension from it but it was also like okay how are they going to get out of this and it's pretty simple actually in that two goons drag off Worf and it's assumed that Worf pretty easily dispatched of them was able to I don't know turn all the lights off around them to make a big display and then shows up behind Kryn with a knife and while Worf is bleeding out trying to keep up the guys though of the tough guy they're able to get from Kryn not only the fact that he essentially created this like inhibitor to get through the AI security guards at the Daystrom satellite that he is also going to give them access to the Daystrom satellite. And so we'll talk about their rendezvous at the end of this episode, but I'm assuming that's where the two of them are going to go next. Yeah, it's like um, 
it's like getting Mundungus Fletcher to help you break into Gringotts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know what? He's going to be a mole at the end of the day, but he's our mole. Just keep exactly. him on a leash. Yeah, we'll just keep him on a leash. Um, so, yeah, this is just very sophisticated lockpicking here. Yeah, exactly. I am very happy, though, that Worf got on screen when they were accessing Rose earring. A, because it's just nice to see these TNG cast members interact. That is one of the things we are loving so much about this final season. But B, so that it does finally feel like the story points are connecting. Rose does mention the portal weapon and the attack on the planet to Picard. And I was wondering, is that going to be it? But I am happy that we are starting to keep things less separated, that, you know, the laundry is starting to get mixed together here. Yeah, this is like those um, those rare episodes of Malcolm in the Middle when Francis would join the rest of the cast. <laughs> exactly, that he's not off in the proverbial Alaska that is Metallus Prime. Exactly, like this is definitely the Alaska of planets. So what do you think? We have the three of them talking here, but the Titan is on the run right now from the Intrepid, at least. Do you think they meet up at the Daystrom satellite, or do you still think that they're given their separate missions? I think they've still got more to do separately, but I think they will come together. It might not even be till like the cataclysmic uh, fight, you know, right at the end of the of the series. Like maybe mm. I think Worf is probably the cavalry that shows up when they're in their final confrontation. What's interesting is, so Raffi obviously did not know that Worf was her handler, right? Until he actually said it, not even when he showed up. Worf knew that Roe was his handler to the fact that when he hails the earring, he's like, oh, where is Commander Roe? So I wonder, was it just that Raffi wasn't high up enough that she didn't get the identity? Was that not the access level that she had with her subscription? Well, I think you learn, I think at a certain point in your career in Starfleet Intelligence, you learn who your handler is. Mm. And I think maybe Roe was just a little bit further along in that journey. Like they didn't find out, Raffi didn't find out who her handler was until there was a really good reason for her to do it. So mm. you just have to assume that a similar reason happened in the case of Worf and Roe. It could also be something where unlike Raffi and Worf who did not work with each other, it could be that Worf, it's like, oh, your handler is somebody that you have familiarity with. And so that's why they decide to be upfront about it. Whereas listen, you don't know this guy from a hole in the ground from an experienced perspective, so we're not even going to bother telling you who he is. Right. Well, let's finish things off as we did last episode, Jess, with our favorite part, Dream Watch here. Uh, so we sort of yada yada through this previously, but basically Rose going to say that like Jack has been wanted by several different types of Starfleet intelligence that for some reason the changelings want him. He pulls like a big badass Jason Bourne move and takes down four changelings by himself, which is pretty damn awesome. But Beverly notices how shaken he is even after these four changelings are dead in the ground. She notes that he isn't sleeping and she reflects on a time when he was a kid that he didn't want to go to sleep for fear of nightmares and pleads with him to give her information. I'm so, so happy, Jess, that for a lot of these plot points in Star Trek Picard, we have not taken the easy route of saying, we're going to drag this out for episodes upon episodes. We're just going to say, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And stew in his red-based, you know, misery for the next five episodes. That at least he was accepting enough to tell his mom, something's wrong with me. I need help. Yeah, well, I, I feel like if you grow up as the child of a doctor, you're going to be more inclined to feel like it's okay to ask for help. That's true. I don't need to pay anything, right? Yeah, well, come on. It's the Federation. They have universal health care in the Federation. 
I don't know, Jess. Apparently, crime needs to exist in order to balance out the need for lawkeeping. Is a similar thing happening with uh, big health companies? I mean, it, it's like, you know, it's like in the UK. You have the national health, but you could also buy extra insurance to cover the fancy doctors. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so she's more of a specialized medicine. But at least in this moment, he's getting help for free. This is also great because it does speak to something I always loved about TNG, right? Which is having a counselor aboard... I think unintentionally encouraged like a pro mental health angle years ahead of its time of like, yeah, if you're having trouble, you should probably go see somebody about it. Now, again, there were certainly episodes where they just dropped these issues and ran with something else because of the episodic nature of it. But I do love it hearkening back to the TNG motto of like, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, it is. And speaking of that, this is about the time where I feel like having a Betazoid on board your ship would be really, really helpful what you need to do is like get at someone's emotional core to figure out whether or not they're a changeling wouldn't deanna troy be great at that now the issue would be if they are now public enemies number one from the changelings would the first people they go after not be the loved ones you know it's almost like a frank abagnale thing right expecting them to go back to nepenthe to visit with deanna troy or pick her up yeah well they could just tell her to go like she should have been with them from the beginning I guess that's true, yeah. Meet at, like, a secondary planet location, and we can pick you up there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you do with Kestra in that case. Like, that's probably the loose end. Ah, I mean, listen, what's a Star Trek series without a precocious kid on board? Let it happen. They, Rose said, proceed with a crew you know you can trust, and we know we can pretty much trust that kid. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's like, if I would trust her before I'd trust either of her parents. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, Jess, anything else you'd like to say about Episode 5? Can you believe we're already halfway through this final season? This feels like a halfway point, though. It doesn't mm. feel like we have 900 hours of action that we have to tie up by the end of the series. It feels like we're moving towards something. And I, I appreciate that about it. Like, we're getting a little bit more knowledge every week. And where I feel like they would do better to explain things a little more quickly, I don't feel like they're going to try to get it past us without explaining everything that needs to be explained. Yeah, I completely agree that I, I feel like they have accomplished a good amount of plot here while also, you know, being able to throw in some fun twists along the way. But it doesn't feel like we're already at a point of, OK, we only have five hours left to answer all these types of questions. I feel like they are portioning out the questions in a big way. Obviously, the big two that are remaining right are what do the changelings want with Jack and what's going on with Jack's dream stuff? But I feel like given where we left off, there's a chance we might find out at least some sort of answer to the dream stuff, maybe even next episode. So that's already one big thing to tick off. I feel like it's been very well paced and has served us a lot of room to then also like close up a lot of Picard holes at the same time, as well as other character holes, like stuff with Riker mourning his son last episode, for instance, finding out more about Shaw. And then Picard here, I think, getting a very large monkey off his back in the way that he left things with Roe. I think, once again, like last week, they did a really good job of threading the needle of taking something old that Star Trek fans of yore would really appreciate they acknowledged again, but doing it in a new way that felt very grounded, that allowed these actors to truly act to their greatest extent and bring about an emotional catharsis for, for both the characters and the fans. So there really is no complaining. The mysteries are kind of a little bit of hit or miss, for me but i appreciate the fact at least that we are speeding through them yeah it also doesn't feel like they're gonna have room 
to pack in like you know whatever their equivalent of a game of thrones dorn episode is like mm. we're just gonna leave everybody here and go do something else for a week or walking dead did that a lot it's like they're gonna move the actual story forward and then you're gonna go hang out with entirely different characters in an entirely different place for a week and they may or not may not be people you care about i feel like we can't really do that even though we didn't get any vatic this episode but she's coming back around you know she is Oh yeah, once she ends up repairing her ship and everything. It was very much the, as we mentioned, Dr. Claw, Team Rocket will be back type of thing. Yeah, I I agree that it it seems like we are doing a really nice job of, I think, just making sure everything is well-balanced, that we aren't dividing ourselves amongst this voluminous ensemble cast, especially that we saw this in the first season, right? We're like, okay, we have what's going on on the XB cube, then we also have what's going on with Picard, but then we also have what's going on with Soji. Like, it seemed like everyone was scattered to the, the corners of the galaxy. And while we felt that initially was going to happen with the crew, we are very much surprised that we've kind of been streamlined to two particular storylines. But I think it's allowed them to really concentrate their efforts on those two storylines to whole-ass one thing, as Warren Swanson would say, rather than half-ass two things. Exactly, exactly. We got, we got a whole-ass here. Well, speaking of ass, we're moving into the back half of Star Trek Picard Season 3. And next week, Episode 6, which is titled Bounty which should be interesting. I'm not sure what that particularly applies to. Who is the bounty? I'm sure we shall find out. Uh, otherwise, in the interim, you can check us out on social media, either at a Mike Bloom type for me or at Haymaker Hattie for Jess or at Post Show Recaps for Post Show Recaps. You can let us know your thoughts about how you've thought the season has gone so far. If you have any theories about Jack's dreams, about this possible were changelings evolved by transporter conspiracy, Anything you might think about this excellent show, please let us know. Jess and I are on the ready to talk with you about it as we accelerate into the latter half of Star Trek Picard's final five episodes. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Star Trek Picard. Thank you all so much for listening. Jess, great work as per usual. Until next time, live long and prosper. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.